welcome to the Gin Lounge. You've stumbled on one of our short episodes called The Mini Bar, where we discuss current events in the travel industry. I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fan With Intention. And I'm Corrine, creator of Travel Biz Boss and co-owner of Journey's Travel Company. We can't discuss all of the headlines, so stay with us until the end for excess baggage. So, wave season. How's it going? Um, just picture me doggy paddling for my life. Um, in calm Caribbean water. waters or no. in the no, no. Drake Passage? Drake Passage. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Drake Passage. It's on my mind because I am heading on a sailing to Antarctica with Swan Hellenic. So I have been thinking every day about the Drake Passage. And not only that, um, you have been sending me Drake Passage TikTok <laughs> and, along with my sister who has also been sending me TikToks about the Drake Passage. So I'm like, thanks, guys. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very uh, much looking forward to it. Um, I think it'll be an adventure. Uh, I will do everything available to do because chances are it might be the only time I'll get to do it. If I like Antarctica, I might consider going back. But if sure. it's not my cup of tea, you know, I at least will have done as many of the things as possible. Well, I will have all the FOMO. I was supposed to be with you and unfortunately couldn't make it work with my schedule, which is a real bummer. And I, I know my attitude towards it was very like, this is terrifying, but I can't pass up this opportunity. So it's, and it's equally as exciting. It's just like a lot of emotions tied up in that type yeah. of trip. And you know how much I love emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, I'm getting better at feeling them um, this mm-hmm. year instead of just <laughs> throwing them to the back. Um, but I'm very excited to experience it. And uh, yeah, so we do have Perfect. a couple of recorded sessions with guests. So Um, you know, this will not be the last you hear from me. (laughs) That's right. And (laughs) we'll also have, uh, at least a little mini series about Antarctica and Swan Hellenic when you get back. So that'll be fun to do as well. Yeah, it'll be great. And I know we've talked about having Jen on as a guest to get, uh, to give us like a kick in the butt for the new year. Guys, Mm -hmm. her episode is locked and loaded. Okay. It's Mm -hmm. coming out next week. You'll have it. So you'll get your kick in the you'll, you'll get your gen fix. That's right. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Toby AI and Voyager websites. Visit VoyagerSocial.ai to take Toby for a walk. First on our list is an article from Travel Age West. And the title is Here's What Luxury Travelers Want from Their Vacations, according to a new survey. And this survey was conducted by Kensington Tours. Um, It is the luxury traveler survey conducted with Opinium Research. It examined the behaviors of 400 adults from households earning over $250,000 who have taken luxury trips worth at least $10,000 in the past five years. $10,000 isn't very luxurious anymore, is it? (laughs) Not anymore. Listen, in 2018, you told me you had $10,000. I will book you a five-star two-week trip in Italy. Mm-hmm. But today, 
I will laugh in your face. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will not go that far. Might be a little far. <laughs> they said that among the most noteworthy findings, 68% of luxury travelers are willing to pay a premium to skip lines. Woo, that's me for sure. Avoid crowds and take private tours, indicating a desire for seamless travel experiences. Respondents also feel their vacations would be enhanced by having access to exclusive events. That's 74%. And other insider experiences not generally available to the public, 72%. What's more, 66% of luxury travelers indicate that they would splurge on personalized, bespoke trips that are tailored to their interests and preferences, while 62% would pay a premium for one-stop planning. I feel like what I've noticed is that clients may not think that they are luxury, but... Mm -hmm what they want in their trip is luxury and what they're willing to pay for is luxury. But that word still tends to maybe have a negative connotation to it because it might make people feel like they're snobby or they might feel like something that's a luxury hotel might be too stuffy. And of course there are options where it is your classic luxury four seasons, that kind of thing. However, we have a variety of luxury these days that I don't think a lot of these people might put under that category. It is modern, contemporary, not your, you know, white glove type of thing. However, the experience is what we would consider luxury in the industry. I agree. I really don't like the word anymore. I feel mm -hmm. like you, nobody knows what it means anymore because exactly. it's been used so liberally. And so to some people, it could feel, oh, stuffy and icky and right. snobby. And some people are like, oh, I want a luxury resort. My budget's $2,500. So right. it just doesn't, it's just not a good, effective word anymore. We need mm. to come up with a different adjective. Right. <laughs> yeah. And their desire to skip the line. I mean, that's almost all of my clients. You know, we don't do anything that's not skip the line. And I can tell you that not... Every one of my clients think that they're luxury or they want to do private tours. I would say almost all of my clients will do private tours, but they don't see themselves as luxury. So yeah, maybe it's time to find a different word. I'm a, a luxury quote unquote flyer. And no small part of that is the line skipping. I want to get on that plane and get my luggage in my overhead bin and get in my seat and I want that seat to be big, potentially lie flat. I want somebody to hand me some champagne. But then the whole rest of my trip is very blue color. <laughs> I mean, I really love special experiences and I'll splurge more on those things. But I'm, I'm not snobby about the hotels or just about any other piece of it, just the flights. So mm. I don't know. I need, we need to think of a name for that. Yeah. That yeah. would be fun. <laughs> Well, one of our favorite sections in these kinds of articles, Fast Facts. Fast More facts. findings from the survey. Two-thirds or 66% of luxury travelers report feeling frustrated by waiting in long lines while traveling. Hi. Count me in that 66%. 38% um, of respondents say they take three to five trips each year. 28% take six to 10 trips. And 14% go on more than 10 trips. Most 57% of these travels average two weeks or more. 
Also, multi-generational travel continues to thrive among this demographic with 82% intending to increase their family travel this year. And among those surveyed, a significant 89% plan to visit new destinations in 2024. Top choices include Switzerland, Norway, and Portugal. The biggest travel pain points for respondents include finding appropriate accommodations, 41%, avoiding tourist traps, 38%, and coordinating activities, 38% as well. And they also, it says here, they reflected a desire for more space, privacy, and exclusivity. More than 50% of affluent travelers expressed interest in experiences such as luxurious villa stays with in-house amenities and private yacht expeditions. Overall, respondents feel their travel experience would be somewhat or greatly enhanced with offerings provided by a luxury tour operator, including access to popular attractions with no wait time, that's 81%, privately guided tours without crowds, 78%, and more exclusive perks. I feel like the longer I'm in this industry, the more my eyes have been opened to all of the ways we can elevate our clients' experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of that is, I mean, I love really beautiful hotels. Like I don't want to touch my bathroom. That's that's your jam. Marble bathrooms. (laughs) When I arrive at the hotel, I don't want to touch my bags. Like I want someone to take my bags, bring them to the front desk, let me check in, get my room number, and then they'll bring my bags to my room. Like I am at that point because I don't want to be rolling my suitcases around and all that stuff. So um, that is something that I'm able to tell my clients about or keep in mind for them because a lot of times before you actually experience it, you might think to yourself, I don't need that, right? Like it's such a small thing. I don't need that. But once you get that kind of service and you get that enough, I feel like it'll become something that you pay more attention to. It's real hard to back down. (laughs) Because like, do I want to arrive into my room sweaty and huffing and puffing because I had to roll my suitcase over carpet? Like, no, I I do not want that. Especially such a picture for me. Yes. Like, (laughs) like after such a long international flight, which most of these are, I don't want the first thing I do to, be rolling my own luggage. So it sounds like something that is superfluous. However, when people are going on vacation, I feel like it really needs to be elevated. So something that I try to do when I go on my own travels is to book accommodations that do have that, that that has like that level of service so that, you know, you're able to experience that for yourself and be able to sell it to your clients. And luckily we're able to get advisor rates a lot of times. If you're part of consortias, you can reach out to your contacts, see if they offer any advisor rates. But I'd say one of the best ways to be able to sell luxury to your clients is to experience it for yourself. I know a lot of advisors, they're like, I'm looking at Airbnbs for my trip to Italy. Why? Like, why are you doing that? You would not be booking Airbnbs for your clients And so it is worth the investment to experience this level for yourself, especially if you haven't gotten a chance to do so in the past. I agree with you. And if for some reason that is just not financially possible for you, 
then I think a good way to do it is like go to that restaurant for dinner or a drink or see if you can get a site inspection or did I say restaurant? I meant hotel. Um, so there are ways to check out hotels mm-hmm. without staying there, but it is not the same as experiencing it as a guest. A hundred percent. So definitely on my list of, um, goals whenever I travel. And sometimes I reach out just saying like, I would love to do a site inspection. And more often than not, they're more than happy to accommodate your visit. So their analysis is that now is the time for advisors to gain new and referred luxury clients. Delivering a seamless, personalized travel experience and insider access are areas where travel advisors excel. And as the post-pandemic tourism boom continues to crowd popular destinations, Italy, uh, luxury (laughs) travelers are likely to value these services more and more as well as continue to pay extra for them. And the good news is that 72% of survey participants already recognize the need for an advisor intending to enlist their services for upcoming travel planning. For those that are not yet on the agent bandwagon, now is the ideal time for advisors to market their services and seek referrals. I wonder what the limit is for what people are willing to pay for skip the line. So, you know, taking Italy, for example, if everyone has skipped the line, no one has skipped the line. That's right. So the way I see them limiting this is, you know, the way Disney is doing it, like just increasing the prices and making them higher and higher to see who is able to pay for them. I wonder what the limit is for these tickets. I'm not sure. Well, it's not even just who is able, but again, as you mentioned, if it's accessible to everyone, then Mm -hmm. it's no longer an advantage. So you have to price some people out in order to maintain the exclusivity. Every year I get a call from somebody mad because they're priced out of Disney Cruise Lines because every year those rates go up so much, but they only have a handful of ships and they all sail Mm -hmm. full. So yes, exactly. I always think the same thing when I go through things like TSA pre-check, for example, I'm like, why is the line so long? Everyone has TSA pre-check. Nobody has TSA pre-check because there's a line. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening in Europe with the pricing because it's continuing to increase for sure. Uh, I will pay for TSA pre-check even if the lines are long because I did not like the sweaty panic of trying to get my laptop out and back in <laughs> with your <laughs> shoes are off. Yelling, move, move, move. You have yeah, no dignity. Yeah, there's no dignity. Not only are you barefoot, you got to whip out your laptop and your liquids. <laughs> you got to grab all your stuff. Yeah, no, it's you're paying for dignity. That's what TSA pre-check is. Yes, agreed. Um, so what... They are saying in this article, traveler behaviors match survey results. Uh, Helen Johnsis, president of Kensington Tours, she's quoted with saying, the outcomes of our recent survey confirm the trends we've observed among our clients who value an effortless experience, unique insider opportunities, elite lodging, and tailor-made journey arrangements. With these preferences in mind and proactively meeting and exceeding our clients' expectations, we are committed to continually developing unique offerings tailored exclusively for the luxury travel sector. Nice. I like this trend. Yes, I do as well. 
Our next article is from Travel Market Report, and it's called Why an Ownership Mindset is Essential for ICs and How to Cultivate One. And I immediately think of Jen Lee because she hates the term ICs. Yes. Uh, We are business owners. And even, you know, we have, there's 17 of us on the Journeys team. And even though 16 of us work under the Journeys brand, we still consider every team member their own business owner. Mm -hmm. It's more like a franchise, I would say, but they are in charge of their own business. In Travel Market Report's recent 2024 distribution outlook, nearly 70% of advisor respondents self-identified as independent contractors, but only 24% of these ICs identified as owners. Considering that the vast majority of ICs operate, market, and service their own book of business, the fact that 44% don't identify as owners is shocking and self-limiting. And one of the most life-changing things for me in the business, and I know for a lot of other advisors, is, and here's a shout out to Jen Lee, when she asked in the conference room, you know, who in here considers yourself a business owner? And everyone thought they were ICs. And this was, I think, in like 2018 when Mm -hmm. she said this. And I remember going to networking events and, you know, you introduce yourself and all this stuff. And I would say, you know, I'm a travel advisor or, you know, I'm a travel agent or, or anything along those lines. However, after Jen Lee said, you are all agency owners, you are all business owners, like you own your business. When I started introducing myself as Hey, I'm Teresa. I own a travel agency. Mm-hmm. That really changed people's perception of me and the work that I do. And I know I've heard a lot of other travel advisors say the same exact thing yeah. that once they started introducing themselves as owning a travel agency, they got way more respect. And I, more than once, people would be like, wait, 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 you own? And I'm like, yes. I know I look young. I did at the time, but. Yes, I'm a travel agency owner. So I think this article is so important in helping with our mindsets. Yes, we're independent contractors, but this is our business. Yep. And Carrie Siggins, CEO of Stone Age, a motivational speaker and author of The Ownership Mindset, told Travel Market Report, having an ownership mindset is the most self-empowering thing you can do. Instead of waiting for someone to empower you, you empower yourself. So she says she's she gave um, Travel Market Report five things that independent consultants and really all business owners can do to develop an ownership mindset. Number one is to embrace being an entrepreneur. So unless an IC's role is limited to servicing clients at, that their host passes on to them, independent contractors need to see themselves as self-employed business owners. Said another way, they need to think of themselves as entrepreneurs often it's not something that comes naturally. And I think, you know, while they're all entrepreneurs, you can decide how hard you want to go on the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. side. Do you want to plan travel and just join a team so that all of the structures are already in place for you? Or do you have a strong vision of exactly how you want to build and run your business? But either in either circumstance, you are an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, Siggins is quoted as saying, I never viewed myself as entrepreneur, and that was a self-limiting belief. I am an entrepreneur. I am growing a business that's adding value to our customers. For Siggins, she struggled with the term because she hadn't founded the company she was hired to lead. 
Other people may associate entrepreneurship with starting multiple businesses or a larger scale business. We have a concept of what an entrepreneur is. And if we don't fit into what that concept is in our own mind, then we discount it. I think some say that I'm working just for myself. That's not an entrepreneur. Of course it is. It's called solopreneur. When you think of yourself as an entrepreneur, you start acting like one. You look for opportunities to grow. You analyze your strengths and weaknesses and you surround yourself with a support system. Uh, Sickens adds, develop your skills, read books and read articles that help you grow your entrepreneurship. And I think this is so important for people to remember No one is going to hold your hand and feed you anything. And you might have a mentor who will provide you with, you know, suggested reading or, you know, whatever it is, you might be part of a mastermind or a think tank. But at the end of the day, the initiative lies with you. You need to take the step to read the book. It doesn't matter what suggestions are given to you. You need to take the action. No one is making you take the action. You are in control of your growth. And I think that's why we love it and also why it's so hard. Yeah. Especially when we're wearing so many hats and we have Mm -hmm. so many ideas and we can envision what we want, but sometimes time can be an issue with the action, but you have to focus and decide what's important and go for that. Otherwise you're just kind of stagnant. But I love this idea of just shifting your mindset and how Mm -hmm. if you think of yourself this way, then you'll act this way. And that is half the battle. Exactly. The second item is to take control. Being an owner also means accepting responsibility for your career path and development. Okay. We touched on that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It says, if you're waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder for that next gig or to say you should expand, then you're giving away your power. You get to decide whether you want to grow your business, whether you want to hire your own IC, whether you want to specialize or not. Accepting that level of responsibility and ownership also gives people the ability to overcome setbacks. When you have the mindset of, I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life, when things go wrong, you can find your way out of it. Yep. And number three is invest in yourself. If independent consultants really are responsible for their own growth, both of their book a business as well as their own abilities as travel advisors, they need to be willing to invest in themselves and their businesses. Sigan says, I am the number one person who can drive my success, who can drive my income. If I'm not learning new things, challenging myself, making investments in myself, then I'm missing out on the opportunity to go after what I want. I feel like she might be my soulmate. For ICs, that investment includes time spent learning about new products, either through online education or by experiencing the products firsthand, as well as financial investments in training programs and marketing. And this is what we mentioned a lot in the past is you need to invest in yourself, in your business, take Mm -hmm. the time, take the money. And it is tough, especially when you're just starting out. I mean, when I first started out, I didn't really have very much in terms of spending power and you, we all know how commissions go where you have to wait until after they travel, but took a risk, did the conference that really helped propel my career. And it's, it looked, the path looks different for everyone, but the main idea is there invest in yourself. The next one is to ask for feedback Self-improvement comes not only from investing in learning opportunities, it also comes from being open to hearing what you're doing well and, and more importantly, where you could be doing better. 
Sigan says, a lot of us are afraid of feedback because if we get negative feedback, it stinks and we want to avoid that, but we need it for growth. She says, I'm a much, much better CEO because of the feedback that I have gotten throughout my career, both solicited and unsolicited. If we're not seeking feedback on what we can do better, how can we make a bigger impact? So she suggests that independent consultants should ask their hosts for feedback as well as their clients. Uh, Asking feedback from clients is a great way to know if you're hitting the mark or not. What did I do really well here? What could I have done to make this experience better for you? Yep. There was, I want to say it was Madeline Stuber from Stuber Travel Group, but I might be wrong. So if that's the case, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure that they do kind of like a little exercise at the end of every trip and they write down what went well and what didn't go well. Can't remember her exact procedure, but so smart, even even self-evaluation. Of course, feedback is important too, but if you can be honest with yourself and write, okay, this is what I nailed, this could have been better. That, just acknowledging that alone will help you to pay more attention to it in the future and you can keep improving and improving. I just thought about something because um, we had a conversation off the recording about this, but um, it could also be helpful maybe to do that if you have assistants or virtual assistants mm-hmm. or anyone after each trip, um, you know, do like a debrief, like what went well and what needs improvement in the future. Yes, that would be yeah. so good to do. And it yes. wouldn't take long. Well, I can tell we're both going to implement that immediately. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least is be compassionate with yourself. To have an ownership mindset, ownership mindset is to have high expectations of yourself, to accept you're in charge of your own business, and to actively take the steps next. Should I just quit? Necessary (laughs) to move towards your goals. And we still have excess baggage coming up. But things don't always go to plan. And the worst thing an owner can do is beat themselves up when things go wrong. And this is, I feel really strongly about this. Uh, I don't like to immediately start thinking about whose fault was it, who's to blame, all these things that are pretty irrelevant when it comes to a solution. Mm-hmm. So the best thing you can do is figure out, is get into a solution mindset. This went wrong. How can we improve that? Because we cannot go back in time and fix it. So it's about solutions and not letting yourself drown. If you need to take five minutes and cry, fine, set a timer. But after that, you need to be focused on how you can course correct, how you can figure out a solution to the problem. So she says, rather than beat yourself up, be compassionate with yourself and learn from it. This way you can take that lesson and make it motivating and empowering. Beating oneself up generally winds up being self-defeating and discouraging. I think for a lot of us who are recovering perfectionists, it can Mm -hmm. be very tough for us, like both the, you know, asking for feedback and being compassionate with yourself because we try our very best all the time. And whether it was the way we grew up or just the person that we are, we want everything to be perfect. But in a, an industry where there are so many things out of your control, it doesn't always work out that way. And yeah. people are not controllable creatures, right? Like your clients are different. The, you know, something could trigger them on a tour or something like these are things that are out of our control. And for us 
to hear feedback that isn't always positive, it can be hard. But I think a lot of the growth process as owners is to is to understand that it's not a personal thing. It's not a reflection on you and your value and, you know, whether or not you're a good or a bad person. You know, if you did everything you could to the best of your ability and something just happens to go awry, use that as a lesson for the next time um, and see how you can improve on that. Because more often than not, six months down the line, you're not going to be thinking about that in the moment. It kind of sucks. And I'm just thinking back on maybe issues that have happened, you know, years ago. And at the time it was terrible. Like it was just very emotionally taxing, but getting through that, learning from the situation, being compassionate with your role in the situation. I think that has really helped in the growth mindset and to help our agency grow and help me grow as a person. And I think, you know, (laughs) it just takes time and it's not easy, but it's just part of being an owner, part of doing your own thing. A lot of times I feel like making mistakes is the way to really learn something Mm because it just makes you so acutely aware that you never want to make that mistake again. So it's sometimes the fastest way to really learn something. Yeah, I was... um... I told you about this book, the book Unreasonable Hospitality. I'm reading it. And I am still making my way through, but there are very interesting insights in that book uh, that talk about how there's one where he says they see mistakes as an opportunity to get Mm -hmm. better and to showcase their hospitality to their guests. And the author of the book, he works in the restaurant or he used to work in the restaurant industry. I think he's more into consulting now. Um, But whenever there was a mistake made in the restaurant, he said there were times where we got the order wrong. um, There were allergens in the food and people were sent to the hospital and, you know, all this stuff, like anything can happen. And these are mistakes that they took as opportunities to improve themselves and to show their guests, how they reacted to the mistake. So to him, he didn't see mistakes as a bad thing. He, of course, wished it didn't happen. However, it gave them an opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Last on our list is an article from afar and it is semi comical, but also it's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting. Uh, It's uh, about, do you tip in France? Sometimes, here's what and how much to give. And here's the subheader. Tipping in France is fairly straightforward. Follow these handy tips when you order a cafe creme. Uh, Spoiler alert, it is not fairly straightforward. It is windy. Very open to interpretation. Yes. And it makes as much sense as not pronouncing the additional vowels in the French language. Like, I don't understand. But I, I I thought it was interesting to discuss because I feel like this article is a, a bit confusing and just in general tipping um, etiquette is very confusing for clients. So it's kind of good for us to work through the reality so that we can help our clients avoid that confusion. You know, I, I've been on this like TikTok jag where people are talking about 
the car mechanic spinning around the tablet and asking for a tip or at the doctor's office, you're getting Botox and they are asking for a tip. So tipping culture is like off the rails in the U S now, and you're getting a lot of pushback on that. And then even more confusing is when you leave the U S and, and then what do you do? Because you're being told they're paid a livable wage and you don't need a tip, but there are times when it is expected at the end of the day, it's at the buyer's discretion. I'm definitely a gross over tipper and to the point where friends in Mexico are like, you can't be tipping that much because it will affect our lives. So I, so now it is much more important to me and on my radar to make sure I'm respecting the culture. Right. And I feel like something similar um, happened in New Zealand when I was on my trip there, I heard from some of the locals and they're like, yeah, um, tipping is not really a thing here. Of course you can, but New Zealanders are like, please do not tip. We don't want to start the tipping culture here in yeah. this country. So it is kind of strange as an American going elsewhere because the tipping culture is so different. Um, but specifically in France, this article talks about, um, Unspoken rules in France. Um, according to the unspoken rules of French tipping culture, gratuity is not expected for waitstaff in restaurants, taxis, and hotels because service fees are already calculated and included in any final bill. All employees are paid a living wage by employers and do not rely on tips for their livelihoods. In France, hospitality workers from servers to bellhops earn a decent minimum wage and enjoy benefits like paid holidays. That said, customers can still choose to show their appreciation for an exceptional exceptional experience with a small tip, the amount of which varies on the type of establishment and service. So here is the supposed helpful guide. Please take so us, take us through. <laughs> you don't need to tip, but if you had an ex exceptional experience, you might want to. But then it also says like, You've just finished your lunch at a charming French cafe and received the bill. Your hand hovers over your wallet. Should you leave a tip in France? Yes, actually, if you had especially good service. So I guess the key here is especially good service. So unless, I mean, and let's face it, in France, Americans don't <laughs> usually get especially good service. Yeah, in France, we are not tipping if it's based on that. <laughs> That Unless you walk in saying bonjour, <laughs> maybe they'll be nice to you. Yeah. Anyway, the article outlines some helpful guidelines to navigate tipping etiquette when traveling in France, which will universally apply throughout the nation, whether you're visiting Paris or the countryside. Whether you're at a local cafe or a Michelin-starred restaurant, 15% is automatically included as a service charge in French restaurants by law. This fee is usually indicated on the menu or the final bill with the phrase service compris. I don't know. I definitely can't do French. Spanish, yes. But nevertheless, if you have a friendly or efficient waiter, you can leave a small gratuity, but this is by no means required. In more touristy restaurants, you might come across audacious waiters who try to tell you that a gratuity isn't included. Technically, they're right. Service is included. A gratuity is not. Regardless, you are not obligated to leave them anything. Oh, the French and their semantics. Well, yeah. 
I mean, I feel like in any touristy area, anywhere in the world, there's a higher expectation of tips mm-hmm. or just an, yeah, I think there's just a different I, expectation. Is it, is it because American tourists have trained them yeah, to expect sure. tips? So we did it to ourselves, uh, yep. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this article says, for a simple beverage, you can round up to the nearest euro or leave 20 to 15 centimes per drink. Ooh. For a meal at a casual cafe or restaurant, you could leave one or two euros uh, per person. For a fine dining establishment where the service is much more attentive, you may want to leave 5 to 10%. It's best to have some change or small bills for tipping because there isn't the option of leaving a tip on French credit card slips. Service is included in the price. You can ask the waiter to add a tip before he punches in the total amount on the credit card terminal. However, with this method, you can't be sure that the tip is paid to the staff. So it's good. It's a good idea to keep a few loose euros on hand. So bottom line, if you get really good service, you just want to have a couple bucks that you can give them in cash to just give them a little extra. Mm-hmm. Um, tipping taxi drivers isn't required. However, locals often round up to the nearest euro or leave up to a five tip. If the driver helps you with your bags, particularly if they're large, it's customary to tip one or two euros per bag. For a private car service, such as a pre-booked airport transfer or a full day car tour, you could tip five to 10%. When it comes to Uber, there will always be an option to tip your driver and the same rules apply. If the experience was good, you can add gratuity through the app. For sure. If somebody helps me with my bags. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at hotels, depending on your hotel and what you request from the staff, there are a range of services for which you might want to leave a gratuity. Luggage handlers, one or two euros per bag. I think that's what I use as well whenever I go anywhere yeah, and pretty much they help with bags. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like one or two euros if it's extra heavy. Go ahead. Thank you for helping with my bag. Um, doorman, one or two euros. Um, feel free to pass on a few notes to those hailing cabs or providing a valet service. Uh, for for room service waiters, a few euros. Um, housekeeping staff, two to four euros per day. So that's one I always leave yeah. uh, tips for is housekeeping staff. Um, it, it says here, more unsung heroes who help our trips go smoothly is the housekeeping staff. Yes. You can pass on the money directly or sometimes leave it in an envelope in the room or at the reception desk. And I've done both because sometimes when I leave the room in a hurry and I go to check, I'm like, oh, shoot, did not leave any money or I don't have change. I got to ask the front desk for change and they'll put it in an envelope and give it to the housekeeping. And then for concierge, five to 20 euros. If you've asked your concierge for a restaurant reservation or to arrange other services, then you should tip five to 20 euros, depending on what they've helped you with. For example, recommending the best tour guide and setting up your experience deserves a larger tip than a quick call for a dinner reservation. So, you don't have to tip, but here's how much you should tip. <laughs> yeah. If you're feeling generous. And of course, articles like this tap into my people pleasing yeah. nature. And I think it's similar for you and a lot of other people. It's just like, uh, yeah. I do want to make them happy, but I am also a very generous tipper because growing up in the food industry, waiting tables, all this stuff, I understand how much tips can mean to people. And I selfishly tip because I want to make other people feel good. And that yep. makes me feel good. So at the end of the day, am I spending money 
for the dopamine rush? Yes. Is it worth it? I would say yes. Usually. <laughs> yes. Usually. And one thing I tell myself, and I always say this as my mom says this too, she's she's like, you can always make more money, right? You can always right. make more money. And so in my head, I'm thinking, what is five euros? What is 10 euros? I mean, I'll just go and make this back easily. And yeah. I just hope that karma comes back around. And it is easy for me to make that back. I do live by the philosophy to always err on the side of generosity. Mm-hmm. A couple of other quick items. You should tip hairdressers, beauticians, massage therapists, or other wellness professionals 5 to 10%. Um, theater ushers, it's customary to tip a euro or two. So if you're going to the opera, have a few coins. Tours. I that was new to me. Sorry. Gratuities for theater ushers. Do you do that at local theaters? I mean, when I go see a show at the theater and there's someone at the upper end with a flashlight taking me to my seat. Are you supposed to tip them? Like in the States? I have Not never that I'm aware of. done that. And now I feel like I will be self-conscious to the point that I may never there go back so to the There are so many theater. ushers that hate your guts right now. Just I'm never going back to the theater. You. I can't show my face. <laughs> <laughs> it says for tours, classes, and other tourism services, if you book a private tour class or excursion directly with a guide or instructor, uh, instructor, you usually charge a flat fee and thus tipping is not expected. But if you book through an online booking platform, tour company, or your concierge, you could leave a 10 to 20% gratuity if you're happy with your experience. Also, there's been like a trend of free tours in major cities and you really should tip those guides because they actually have to pay to take you on the tour. So you want to make sure you get like they're basically working for tips. Um, are there any situations where tipping is offensive? Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here in general, French people will always appreciate a tip if they provided a service. But there is one big no-no when it comes to French tipping etiquette. A giant tip isn't always better. In French culture, flashy displays of wealth are seen as unsightly, including the act of leaving a massive tip post-dinner. So while there isn't a situation in which a tiny gratuity won't be appreciated, leaving a hundred euro on the table after a 25-year Parisian cafe stop, even if the server gave you some great travel tips, won't be received warmly. Isn't that funny? I mean, I don't know. Can I ask a French person about this? They might think you're think you're better than them. Who knows? I don't know. I don't, All I, right, I, I, <laughs> I I still find that a little um, sus, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Are Who we ready for some excess baggage? <laughs> yes. All right, it's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory, so you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Market Report, through March 31st, Alma Waterways is offering cruisers free pre- or post-cruise land packages on select Europe River cruises in 2024 and 2025. Varying by itinerary, options range from two to four nights and include a stay at a four- or five-star hotel in the heart of the city. Another one from them says that starting this year, Viking is introducing three first-of-their-kind China voyages ranging in length from 10 to 20 days. Each itinerary includes a domestic sailing of China's coast, highlighting rarely visited ports to which only Viking has access. 
Travel Age West reports that running now through April 30th, G-Adventure's G-Normous Incentive Program is back with up to $75,000 in cash and prizes available for travel advisors, including a grand prize of $11,000 to commemorate the 11th consecutive year of G-Normous. An article from Travel Weekly says that United and Alaska cancellations continue with Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes grounded. And on that note, they also report that Kayak has seen a 15-time increase in aircraft filter usage following Alaska Airlines incident. Travel Pulse reports that premium leisure travel is on the rise. Travel companies are luring leisure customers who might not have otherwise upgraded or selected premium to do so. Revenue for premium cabin seating jumped 17% year-over-year at Delta Airlines, for instance. Another one from them says that a volcano in southwestern Iceland erupted yet again over the weekend, triggering the closure of Blue Lagoon again. The lagoon had just reopened last week after closing in November in advance of the first time that volcano erupted. According to Travel Agent Central, a survey from Berkshire Hathaway has found that Canada, Switzerland, and Norway are top three safest countries. Its annual State of Travel Insurance Safest Destinations report is the longest running and trusted research project tracking U.S. travelers' attitudes towards travel, safety, and travel insurance. And our high note today is also from Travel Agent Central. New data from Travel Insurance Marketplace Square Mouth reveals that the cruise industry is poised to make a big splash in 2024, shattering records along the way. And that's it for Excess Baggage. Wow, that high note. Haven't heard that one before. I feel like (laughs) every year it's like, oh, another record shattered. Love to hear it, Mm -hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder that all the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. Please remember that we didn't write the news. We're just sharing it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also, head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. Have any questions, comments, or just want to say hello, please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at the tinlounge.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Cause, cause, cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.